I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the MVP Show. My intention is that you listen to the stories of these MVP guests and are inspired to become an MVP and bring value to the world through your skills. If you have not checked it out already, I do a YouTube series called How to Become an MVP. The link is in the show notes. With that, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from Rugby England. He received his first MVP award in 2021. He's a community leader and he's involved in uh, as in the Microsoft community, including participating in the Power Platform School for Mentors. Awesome program. Uh, he's the founder and co-host of All Things We Don't Talk About podcast. And we're going to make sure that's linked in the show notes so you can take a look. Uh, he does that with fellow MVP, Alison Maligan, the amazing Alison. Boy, I love that lady. Where they talk about, uh, talk to people about issues like mental health, diversity, inclusion, LGBTQ+, rights and genders uh, for these various communities. Uh, if you haven't worked out who this is, you can find him on Twitter at heart365 or check out his blog, heartofthemidlands.co.uk. Welcome to the show, Mike Hartley. Woohoo, and awesome. Thank you, Mark, for having me. It is so good to uh, hear your voice once again. You've been much missed over here, my friend. Oh man, I you know I, I follow the chats and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I miss, I miss, I miss London, I miss <laughs> London, and fancy going and to lockdown, you. you know? Yeah, thanks so much. Going to lockdown like we have, you know, for the last two years is ridiculous. So, uh, tell me, who is Mike Hartley? What does Mike Hartley get up to up to when he's not working? <laughs> if you ask my missus, I'm working all the time, it seems. Um, uh, yeah, so um, I'm rapidly approaching the grand milestone of 5 next year. Spring chicken um, land, my friend, spring yeah. chicken land. Um, and, uh, yeah, I a um, few years back decided to reinvent myself a bit, reinvigorate the career, uh, I saw people my age coasting to re- retirement rather than enjoying what they'd got. Um, but outside of that, I'm a big motorsport fan, massive petrol head, um, as is my dear wife and our eldest son is as well. Um, so F1, MotoGP, basically anything that races – will be interesting. We even watched tractor racing uh, before now. Um, And, yeah, um, I am a rugby fan. So, yeah, uh, I live in the town of rugby, which is where the sport was born. 
Um, and everywhere you go in this town, they're very, very keen to tell you about it. Um, it's a sport, of, it's a sport of gentlemen, isn't it? It's a sport of gentlemen. Yeah, except when you and, see them on the pitch being... And, uh, and uh, soccer or football is the, the sport of thugs, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't like football, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I've never liked... Well, no, I used to like football and then it, I don't know, it became all Oscar-worthy performances and... Prima donnas. Yeah, yeah, and... Whereas rugby, it's kind of all raw and what you see is what you get. There's no pretense on the pitch. They'll they'll be there blood pouring from their head and telling everybody, I'm fine, let me carry on playing. Um, you're, you're, so, so, yeah. you're so right. It became, it became New Zealand's national sport. And I remember in one game, one of the legends of our sport had his nutsack ripped right open he just said, tape it up and went and carried on playing. Ooh. It was rucked on, right? He got rucked on with a sprig and it was torn right away. He literally, they got some tape, taped it back on. He went straight back on the field playing. You imagine somebody playing football doing that. Oh, my gosh, they'd have an ambulance on the field in, in, in five minutes. They would be wanting to, you know, man, just different game, right? Yeah. I mean, let's face it, they, they stubbed their toe and – uh that's it. It's major drama and what have you. And yeah, not for me. Um, and then um, actually, <laughs> after a lifelong declaration of hatred for the sport, a couple of years ago, I ended up um, essentially bedridden for quite a few weeks. And it coincided with the Cricket World Cup, which, um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Yes, uh, that Cricket World Cup, Mark. Um, I know the, I know and, the one because I was in London at that time. Yeah, and I ended up watching nearly every single match of that and got hooked on cricket ever since. So, so you watch you watch the Kiwis have it stolen by the English team. I watched the English win a well-deserved victory <laughs> oh, after a hard-fought gladiatorial match. There was no match. way. It was a bad call by the umpire. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, we digress. Listen, I'm really keen to understand uh, your podcast. Tell us about your podcast and why people should be going over and having a listen. Yeah, so I've been... I've been a big champion for speaking out about mental health issues for a number of years now. Um, I have my own battles with mental health uh, that I talk about very, very openly. And whenever I put a tweet out about it or mentioned it, I'd get people messaging me in it, um direct messages um or um at ignite london i i had people find me and they'd kind of just sort of sneak up to the side of me and they'd be like that's really brave i'm like well it shouldn't be i mean if i'd got a broken leg i would tell you i've got a broken leg um and the stigma really bugged me. It really wound me up that people felt that 
for them to be able to be open about this stuff, they needed to be brave. Um, and there's a, there is a lot of stigma. There's a lot of employers who will penalise you for having mental health struggles. It is getting better, but there is still a lot of old school companies. And it wound me up. It really wound me up. And the more I talked about it and started to be open about it, the more I realised there were other areas. Um, At the time, uh, I started thinking of this podcast idea and I thought, I need a co-host and a co-owner of the podcast. So Alison was the perfect choice um, because she is just awesome. She's just brilliant, and people are are so at ease around her. And we decided that there were lots of subjects that we as a a Microsoft community don't really talk about that openly. And so she came up with the fantastic name, The Things We Don't Talk About. And, yeah, we just have people on who are willing to share their experiences. Um, It's not published very often because, A, my time management isn't the best, but also I have to face up to my own challenges when I'm producing the podcast and I listen to it and it opens a lot within me that I have to deal with before I can go public with publishing it um and it is it's a challenge but it's had a real impact and I think if there's one really good thing that's come out of COVID is we as a Microsoft community there's been a lot more um where we've had WhatsApp groups where we've had virtual pubs And whereas it would normally be we'd see each other at an event and then we'd get along, we'd have a few beers, we'd have a laugh, then we'd go about our lives until the next event. The last couple of years, we've talked a lot every day. We've communicated and we've got to know each other's lives So when Alison and I talked about this podcast, one of the things Alison said to me was she wasn't aware of anybody who sprang to mind in our community who was LGBTQ+. We've actually, over the last couple of years, there's been people who've spoken out and they've come out and opened up and it's been brilliant. It's been really good. There's been stigma smashing going on. Um, so, yeah, that's what it's about. And we've done a lot on mental health. Um, we're going to be talking about other subjects, um, gender, race, uh, religion. Um, that's a surprising one um, as well. Um, and all, all, all sorts of things, addictions. Um, just things that we're vulnerable to as a community. And and we always say we're here to support each other. Um, so let's, let's do that. Let's break, break down walls. Let's, 
let's open up, let's make it a safe space for us all. I like it. I like it. One of the things, and and you know, and I don't know if you've explored this topic at all on the show, is that of neurodiversity. And and until I joined IBM, I probably I don't know if I'd ever heard the word before. And I went deep and and got training and and learnt so much. And what I didn't realize there once again a stigmatized group of people that struggle to get into the workforce because they are neurodiverse and and I'm talking about people with PhDs that have never been employed not because they don't want to be employed but they might have Tourette's or they might be in a situation where they can't deal with um noise like so you're an open planned office it just freaks them out and or lighting or even smells, you know, that uh, somebody's perfume, you know, go, going past or aftershave, you know, would have an impact on them. And, and, and it takes so many different lens, but, but what happens is that when these people are brought into the workforce and allowed to be their authentic self without judgment um, and not only that, the environment is created for them. So in other words, you've got to practically go, hey, we need to create an environment that, you know, they, it doesn't, you know, initiate panic attacks and, and, and this type of thing. And university goes down to things like, um, uh, you know, people that struggle with, with dyslexia or, or have dyslexia and, and um, or speech impediments, so many different things you know, fall, I feel, in this range. And what we've found, and then I say we, I'm at a, a big company now, um, and the number of people we employ on purpose and we provide an environment on purpose now and the skills and the diversity of thinking and the, the value they bring to the organization is absolutely mind-blowing. Because they see things, they see patterns, they see things that somebody that's not neurodiverse don't even pick up on. And and this is powerful when it comes to consulting. Yeah, very, very much so. So, um, it, I mean, it, it, it's funny because when, when I started having the idea for the podcast, um, it was at Ignite London in 2020. Um and I actually heard and saw Donna Sakar for the first time. Um, and she she mentioned neurodiversity and it was like a bulb going on because it explained so much. And um, I actually managed to get to speak to her at Ignite and I said to her, look, I'm thinking of doing this podcast. And she said to me, let me know. I want to be on that program. I want to be on it. So um, I contacted her when we finally got round to, or when I finally got round to getting things sorted. And our very first two episodes are with Donna uh, Sakar. Um, first one talking about neurodiversity and the second one talking about um diversity and inclusion and yes yeah, i mean 
she's been a real champion. Um, but I've got to know some some people with complex neurodiversities in the last in the last couple of years um, as I've kind of really developed to focus on accessibility and and things like that and just the whole landscape um that that covers um and as you say what they can bring is just immense it is so so valuable because they can people with neurodiversities because they can think in very different ways um they they can come up with views and perspectives and ideas that people who are neuronormal or whatever term you want to use and i mean we all think differently anyway but the way we think um is what is the key distinguisher um, but those of us that are neuronormal or neuronormative, I think the phrase is, um, we we get into patterns of thinking that are shaped by working with set patterns and things like that. And you, you get somebody who might be autistic comes in and they see these patterns, they see these um different ways of connecting things and it's so much richer when you include it really I I mean the whole of life is you you include different people and you get a much more colorful varied exciting world yeah totally agree and I think it's on companies to more and more get educated um, and and get up to speed on this because uh, it's critically important. It's critically important, you know, n- you know, um, for society. Do, do you know what? I tell you what, this is how much it impacted me when I did the training. I actually cried because, you know, I've got a young daughter. She's uh, about 14, 15 months old. And I felt that if this is the the employment world, like what I was experiencing at IBM was possible. It didn't matter if anything came out in her future. And um, there's companies that are becoming enlightened, if you like, and really inclusive on purpose. Like I'm talking about constructing offices and things like that, like doing it on purpose, not, you know, doing band-aids or, or segregating, but doing it on purpose, creating environments that support this. And I just think that, you know what, it's a bright future. You know, there's a time in my life I didn't want to have kids because I was worried about the world where they're coming into. I think I'll, you know, to a large degree, um, it's things are getting better in my mind and what I'm seeing. Sure, there's some crazy shit going on in the world in some places like, you know, Ukraine um, at the moment. Uh, and Ethiopia and other uh, other parts of the world, but I feel like in the culture I was brought up in, there's you know which came from a very strong religious ethic. You know, um, our society, if you like, is now starting to realize that hey, there's a lot of other things that we actually need got to get much smarter on, much better on purpose, and proactively do things 
um, to create a better world for everybody. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, it's, I mean, companies are starting to wake up to this. Um, there is, there is a lot more out there being spoken about. And I know my perspective on things is slightly different because of the people I'm connected with on LinkedIn and Twitter. Obviously, these things, the algorithms surface all this stuff for me. But even if I take that to one side, if I go onto one of my other Twitter accounts that doesn't have any of this I'm seeing a lot more people talking about these things, discussing it, companies being really forward in the way that they are talking and recruiting and, as you say, building um, to make an all-inclusive environment. And there's a lot of learning going on because um, you cannot make, an environment just as you can't make anything a hundred percent accessible or suitable for everybody because what you might do for Fred over here might not suit Jane over here it might actually have the opposite effect um but this is where we as a society, as an industry, as a culture, we need to learn, well, how do we build these inclusive environments? What are the steps we can take to include as many people as possible and make sure that we're not inadvertently excluding people? Because I, a lot of the people I know within this industry, and I mean, in fact, the majority of the people I know in this industry, if you told them, look, what you're doing is actually excluding a big chunk of people, they would be absolutely gutted. They would be devastated if you told them that their actions were excluding a whole group of people. And that's the challenge. It's that people aren't aware that's happening. And the more we're talking about it, the more the change is happening. We are seeing it becoming a normalised conversation. It's. I, I, I remember London 2012 Olympics. There was one thing that really absolutely shook a lot of people and that was when the anthems were played the announcers in the stadium said would those if you are able to please stand for the national anthems and immediately that meant that those that couldn't stand weren't being judged just one simple phrase and it just changed everything the commentators on tv were just like oh wow 
that's seismic. That's that's huge. And if you listen to it now, it's become quite normal where an anthem is played for people to say, if you are able to, please stand. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's a simple change, but it meant a big deal to those who always felt the glares of people looking at them. Why aren't you standing for the anthem? Well, actually, I can't. So, yeah, it's it's simple changes sometimes can have world-changing effects. <laughs> totally, totally. Listen, if you want to hear more about this topic and, 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 and discuss this, check out the Things We Don't Talk About podcast uh, with Mike and Alison. Mike, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, it's been a joy, mate. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And thank you as well for the 90-day mentoring challenge because that was a huge thing for me. That really was. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If you like the show and want to be a supporter, check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365 guy. Thanks again and see you next time.